So we start this new series, Stories from the Seats, and if you noticed inside the bulletin, uh, Dave put together uh, some responses to some questions, and, and we do get some questions about this series. Um, I would say it's probably, it's probably the series that we get the most responses from, um, that people are just so excited that we're going to do it again, so excited to hear the stories that are being shared and are really touched and inspired by them. But every once in a while we'll get a question like, really? Is, is, that, is that what we do on Sunday mornings? Um, and, and I just have to say that I think it is something that we need to do on Sunday mornings. Um, God speaks to us through story. This, this right here, God's word is God's story. Um, what did Jesus spend a lot of time doing, but, but telling stories to people, uh, conveying a truth about his father through a powerful story. Um, and I, there's nothing that's more compelling or more inspiring to me than hearing about somebody's story and how God has impacted them and is significant in a very personal way. So we have all kinds of stories right here this morning in these seats. And we've lifted out just a few of them over these few weeks. So I want to invite Carter to come on up. Carter Moore is, is on our staff. When did you come on, on staff? October 1st. October 1st. And, and the unique thing about Carter, well, one of the unique things about Carter <laughs> is that uh, we're, we're sharing him with our, with our friends over at NAS. Uh, you, have a, you have a job that spans both, both church families, which is uh, a first for, for both of us. So we're glad you're here. You work with college students, and we're glad that your family's here and anxious to hear what you have to share with us this morning. So thanks. Thanks, Doug. You bet. Glad to be here. I'm glad to be part of a church that encourages and invites people to share their stories. So here goes. <laughs> then Jesus told him this. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country? and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. My story begins on June 18, 1981, when I was born at Sartori Hospital in Cedar Falls, the first child of Stephen and Kirsten. On March 9, 1984, my brother Levi, my only sibling, was born. My mom was a substitute teacher and was able to be at home most of the time to raise us. There were many days I'm sure my mom regretted this decision. (laughs) I was a very stubborn child, Some say I still am. I was into everything, climbing everything, drawing everywhere, walls included, or building a fort out of anything I could find. I asked a lot of questions. I still do. When I was five, I asked my mom, if God created everything, then who created God? My brother, whose name is now MacGyver, wanted to take everything apart. He wanted to know how everything worked. And once he figured that out, he usually lit it on fire, blew it up, or found a way to take the parts out and use it in something else. My poor mom. But my mom gave us freedom. And more importantly, she also instilled some important truths in us. My mom read to us every night. I'm an avid reader now, and it's a tradition I've shared with my children, and I'm thankful for that. Earl Nightingale once said, The only difference between who you are now and who you will be in five years is the books you read and the people you meet. My mom was passionate, too, whether it was about a worldly injustice, a Scrabble game, one of my sporting events, or an Iowa Hawkeye basketball game. She got into it. My dad, he was a cop in Cedar Falls for almost 30 years. 
He was the hardest, pers- hardest working person I knew. He was a very soft-spoken man, but he spoke very loudly with his actions. And when he did say something, you listened. James 1 verse 19 says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This piece of scripture was my dad. My dad was the son of a, son of a preacher, and I never heard him quote scripture, but he didn't have to. He lived it. Many of my early memories include my dad showing me how to do something and then participating with me. My dad put a fishing pole in my hands, a basketball and a set of golf clubs. Every year since I was in the womb, we would take a summer vacation to uh, northern Minnesota to different lakes. We started returning to one lake in particular, Lake Hattie. And in 2002, when they sold off the resort as individual cabins, my dad had, had first pick of the cabins and purchased one right on the lake. We still own it today and visit it as often as possible. I was always at home on the water and outdoors, and I developed an early love for God's creation, even though I wasn't sure about the Creator. Also, at a very young age, my dad took me to Carver Hawkeye Arena and Kinnick Stadium to watch Iowa basketball and football games. I was hooked instantly. The Iowa Hawkeyes would be at the center of many, many conversations with my dad over the years. One of my youngest memories that was very vivid was the death of my grandmother, my dad's mom, when I was 10 years old. She was 66 and died from complications of diabetes. It was also one of a handful of times that I saw my dad cry. I don't remember it happening, but I remember being at the funeral and seeing her body there in the casket, and my brother asked if he could touch her. And my grandpa, being a pastor, said yes, and explained that it was just her body there. For the first time, I really understood that death was a real thing, and that was scary. Growing up, we had a very good childhood. We were never rich. We were never poor. We always had what we needed and more. We grew up going to church, Sunday school, youth group, all the trips. I was baptized and confirmed at our church. But growing up in the church, I was just going through the motions. I was there for the friendships within the church and to please my mom. I didn't really care about God. But in order to get confirmed, I had to spend a week at Lutheran Lakeside Bible Camp. I was not happy about this. I tried everything to get out of it. Despite my insistence, I went. And a funny thing happened. For the first time in my life, I was fully aware that there was a God, and he was interested in me. Now, I didn't take a step forward in faith that week, but seeds that had been planted were starting to sprout. After returning from that trip, I quickly forgot about my experience. And in eighth grade, I experimented with alcohol and marijuana for the first time. I continued to test the waters with drugs and alcohol and tobacco. And by the end of high school, I was smoking cigarettes regularly and drinking almost every weekend. A few weeks after I graduated high school, I went to Jamaica on a mission trip through our church to serve at a school for deaf children. Again, I was there for the wrong reasons. I had an opportunity to go to Jamaica at a small cost to me and be with some of my friends. And once again, on this trip, I experienced God's presence in a powerful way. I knew that he was real and was interested in my life. I was close again to taking a step in faith, but I didn't. My pride was getting the best of me. Once again, I returned to Cedar Falls, and the fire that was lit in Jamaica quickly burned out. I went to college at UNI and was back to abusing alcohol, tobacco, and marijuana. I was able to skate through high school, 
with almost never having to take home an assignment. I was smart and lazy. Smart enough to get good grades and lazy enough to not have to do much to get them. But college was a slap in the face, wake-up call for me. I quickly fell behind in my classes. I was more concerned with going to the bars and house parties than going to class. And I started skipping my morning classes, which turned into skipping all of my classes. All the time. I got a letter in the mail before the second semester saying that I had been put on academic probation, essentially kicked out. I had a... (laughs) You can laugh. It's okay. I had a 0.6 GPA. (laughs) Drugs and alcohol became my passion. I was drinking almost every night. I was starting to experiment with drugs like ecstasy, cocaine, and acid. The idea of graduating from college was behind me. One night after partying in Iowa City, I was awakened by a friend who wanted me to give him a ride to one of the dorms on campus. I was still drunk, and I told him no. But after he persisted, I gave in and drove him to the dorm. After I dropped him off, I turned left onto the next street. At the same time, a cop turned left down the same street, coming from the opposite direction, and we almost ran into each other in the middle of the road. I was on a one-way going the wrong way. I had two open beers in the front console next to me. Yeah, oops is right. (laughs) I took a a ride in handcuffs in the back of a squad car and spent the night in jail. I was given five citations for that one stop. It was a very expensive mistake. Having to tell my parents was the lowest point in my life. I then got a job at uh, the Taco Bell here in town because I found it because it was in walking distance from my apartment. I quickly found that I enjoyed what I was doing and became a manager within six months. During this time, I asked a girl who worked at Taco Bell out on a date. On our first date, we had sex. About a month later, I got a phone call from her saying she was pregnant. I was 19 years old. Telling my parents was the new low point in my life. My daughter, Jasmine, was born on September 8, 2001. I had a new purpose and a new responsibility in my life. It was no longer about me. I had someone who was depending on me. I was working harder, and in fact, at one point, I was working three jobs and supporting our little family. I then got an offer to become an assistant manager at the Long John Silvers in Waterloo. I accepted and hit the ground running. I was pouring a lot of time into my job, and I was becoming unhappy at home. Jasmine's mom and I tried to make things work, but it didn't. And after two years of trying, we decided to split up. It was an extremely hard decision and a very dark and difficult time for me. It was in this darkness that I finally realized that my way of living life was destroying me and the people around me. Proverbs 11, verse 2 says, Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. It was time for some humility in my life. So one night shortly after that, I found myself lying face down on the floor of my apartment And I fully and humbly gave my life to Jesus Christ for the first time. I can't explain why or how it happened, but I felt Jesus telling me that it was time to stop trying to do life my way. I asked Jesus to forgive me for all the stupid stuff I had done, and I asked him to start leading my life. And I felt this weight lifted off my shoulders. I felt a peace in my heart I had never experienced, better than any drug. The Apostle Paul talks about this peace in his letter to the church in Philippi. In verse 7, he says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I felt that. I was no longer afraid of death, and I was excited about life for the first time in a long time. Psalm 40, verse 2 says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. I finally felt like I had a firm place to stand. Shortly after this, I was offered the opportunity to move to Cedar Rapids to take over Elon John Silvers as a general manager. I was 21 years old, and I was at a time in my life where I felt like I needed to take a chance. I didn't know anyone in Cedar Rapids and was moving away from everything I knew for the first time. It was pretty scary, but I did it. My decision to move separated myself from some bad influences, my, influences in my life that, because of my addictive personality, I had a hard time staying away from. I started attending a church on my own and reading the Bible with a thirst for understanding for the first time in my life. I was hungry for truth. After a short time in Cedar Rapids, I found out that an old friend had moved to Coralville at the same time. She didn't really know anyone in the area either, so we started hanging out. And we talked about our faith together, started going to church together. We then read the book Purpose Driven Life together, and I understood that for the first time in my life that I had a specific purpose. We had cemented our friendship in Jesus, and six months later, I asked Jody to marry me. Nine months later, on April 30, 2005, I married Jody at our church in Marion, Lutheran Church of the Resurrection. As you can see, I definitely outkicked my coverage. Maybe you can't see. <laughs> if my wife was here, I'd have her stand up. God has truly blessed my life with an amazing woman. Two weeks later, I closed on my house that I had sold in the morning, and then in the afternoon, we closed on our new home, that had just been built. It was quite an adventurous time for our family. After we were married for a short time, I got offered to take over the Long John Silver's A&W back here in Waterloo, where I had started. After two years there, I ran into an old friend who was working for a local marketing company. I was ready to get out of the restaurant business and have some more normal hours, so I took a job there. I spent the next four years working there. During this time, my wife and I volunteered at our church with the high school youth group as small group leaders. I went on two mission trips as a volunteer, and my faith continued to grow. On August 5, 2007, our first son, Cale, was born. Then in 2008, my father's father died. And this was a, another one of the handful of times that I saw my dad cry. On a mission trip I was on to um, Arkansas with our high school students in 2008, I felt a tug from God to apply for the Open Youth Director position at our church. After much discussion with my wife and others and praying about it, we decided to do it. A guy with no real ministry background and no college degree was hired. A guy with a turbulent, troubling past was hired to lead high school students in their walk with Jesus. God does work miracles. He does use the broken. The next four years were such an amazing shaping period in my life. We took a huge and scary pay cut, and it was scary at first, but we found that we were much, much happier because of this decision, and we thrived in this time. It was a time of great growth for our family and fully trusting in God. During this season, our next child, Elijah, was born on April 5, 2010. In March of 2011, my wife and I led a mission trip to serve at orphanages in South Africa and Zambia. This is a life-changing experience. 
They say that anyone who goes to Africa never leaves the same. How true that is. What an eye-opening and heart-piercing trip that was. I was able to lead many other mission trips as well during this time in Marion and found that I had a deep passion for missions and serving those in need. Again, a seed that was planted when I was 17 was sprouting now in my late 20s. I was on top of the world. Then on June 7th, in the summer of 2011, my world came crumbling down. While we were at my daughter's softball game, we got a phone call that my dad had collapsed while up at the cabin. He had been sick for several weeks and had even gone to the doctor twice complaining of terrible pain in a specific spot on his head. The doctors gave him some extra strength, ibuprofen the first time, and Vicodin the second, and sent him on his way. My wife said that she was going to personally take him to the doctor to figure out what was wrong with him the day he got back from the cabin if he didn't go himself. He had collapsed up at the cabin because he had a seizure while driving his pontoon back in from the lake. He crashed into the dock, and a neighbor friend saw it happen and ran down and called 911. They took him to the nearest hospital, which was an hour away, but they didn't have the proper scanning technology, so he had to take a 45-minute ambulance ride to the next nearest hospital that could do the scan, which was in St. Cloud. During this time, we were making the seven-hour drive up north to, to see him. We arrived early in the morning and got to talk with my dad. The doctors then got the scan back and showed us. The headache in the specific spot that he had been complaining about was being caused by a mass the size of a peach in his frontal lobe. They wanted to admit him immediately. My wife, who's a nurse, asked about transporting him to Iowa City where she works, and they thought he would be fine for that. They gave him some anti-seizure medication first to make sure he would be okay for the ride. So I went out to the car to try and lay down for a few minutes before the drive back. A few minutes later, I got a call from my wife, who was bawling on the other end of the line, and told me to hurry up and get inside. I began begging God to not let my dad die. I ran inside, and she was in the waiting area crying, and she kept telling me to sit down. She told me he was taking a turn for the worse, and the doctor didn't think he had much time left, and that we needed to go in and say our goodbyes. There was a lot of confusion, and when we went into my dad's room, he was acting a little loopy. I began to fear the doctor was right, but I couldn't understand why they weren't doing something about it. The doctor pulled us into some private room in the back of the hospital and looked at us and told us that my dad was going to die. I was very angry and was refusing to accept what he was saying. I was angry with him for giving up, for not doing anything to fix it. I was angry with God for what was happening. Eight hours earlier, we were enjoying the summer day, watching my daughter play softball. Now we were being told to say goodbye to my dad. I was not okay with what was happening. We went back out with dad and stayed in his room. He was still acting weird, but started to slowly improve and they admitted him to the hospital there in St. Cloud to see a neurosurgeon. The surgeon looked at the scan and said it was either a tumor or an infection, but either way, he needed surgery pretty quickly. Dad was all the way back to his normal self, joking with the nurses by this time. The doctor had thought he was, initially thought he was dying because he had reacted poorly to the anti-seizure medication they first gave him. So they gave him a different one, and he was fine. We loaded him into my car and drove straight to Iowa City with one detour to Urbana to switch cars. 
My car was making some weird noises and even died once right as we left the hospital in St. Cloud. But I was able to get it started and on our way. Literally, as we pulled into our driveway in Urbana, my car died for good, rolling into the parking spot. There was a huge summer, excuse me, there was a huge summer storm building, and we drove the last 30 minutes straight through it. You couldn't see 10 feet in front of you. It was like we were living in a nightmare. I know I asked myself more than once, is this really happening? We finally made it to Iowa City and got him admitted to the hospital, and they scheduled brain surgery for a few days later. After a 10-hour surgery, they reported that they were able to remove over 95% of the tumor from his brain. Then the pathology reports came back, and they were not good. My dad had a glioblastoma multiform. This is the deadliest of brain tumors with an almost 100% death rate. It didn't really hit me at first, but one day when I was at home, I googled glioblastoma, and the reality of the situation set in. My dad was given a death sentence. My dad went through chemo and radiation, had two more surgeries, and battled four more months before dying on October 16, 2011, a Sunday, the same day of the week his dad died. Looking back on it, we were very thankful for the time we were given, the time to say what we wanted, to make sure affairs were in order, and to take a few trips together as a family. Many of the conversations were difficult. But my dad could have very easily had a seizure while he was in the middle of the lake or while driving back from the cabin. He was actually supposed to be driving back about the time he had the seizure, but had decided to stay up north one extra day. If he was in his car driving when it happened, he could have killed many people on the road. My car could have died anywhere in between St. Cloud and Iowa City, but it didn't until we got to our house to switch cars. We could have easily been in an accident while driving through the storm. We had an opportunity to give thanks or to be bitter. This was a huge challenge for my faith in God. I questioned a lot of things during this time. But in the end, I chose to hold on to God's promises. In John 16:33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Shortly after my dad died, one of my closest students and a great friend lost her dad. He had a heart attack while hosting a team dinner for her soccer team. My first question to God was, why? What can I possibly say or do? I'm still grieving the loss of my own dad. I certainly wasn't ready, but God was clearly using my experience to try and help other people. It's been a year since that day, and I've seen God do some amazing things through her because of her experience. A week later, after her dad died, a recent college graduate who was also living in Marion lost his dad as well to a heart attack. I didn't know him, but through a friend we met up after the funeral for lunch. And again, God was using my pain and my experience for his good. We became friends immediately, and he became a small group leader at our church, and his faith is on fire right now. His loss has been another example of God working, even in our pain. Not long after that, another student came to me and shared that her father was battling lung cancer, and they were preparing him for hospice. He died later that year, and I was able to be there for her as well. In Romans 8, verse 28, it says that God causes everything to work together 
for the good of those who love him. I would have certainly rather had my dad back, but I couldn't change that. And God did make good come out of these terrible tragedies. In the summer of 2012, I found out about an opening for a college ministry position here in Cedar Falls. I'd had a conversation about a month earlier with my pastor telling him that I was feeling a call to do something more with college students, but wasn't sure what it meant. After exploring the opportunity and spending a lot of time again in prayer and in conversation with my wife and family, we decided to move back to Cedar Falls. It has allowed us to be closer to family and for me to come back home. So this past October, I left my first ministry, which was very difficult, and started here at Orchard and Naz, and I'm absolutely loving it. In November, we found out Jody was pregnant again, so we are now preparing to be a family of six. Exciting times for us. This spring break, I had an opportunity to lead a team of college students to serve at a deaf school in Kingston, Jamaica. This trip would be through the same organization that I had served at when I was 17. My life seemed to be coming full circle again. Then on Tuesday, March 12th, three days before our trip was scheduled to leave, one of our friends woke us up in the middle of the night, pounding on the door. She said I needed to call Katie, who's a good friend and the person who took over for me at the church in Marion, and I needed to do it right away. I called Katie, and she told me that one of our students, a freshman in high school, had committed suicide that night. I felt like I had been sucker punched. But again, I saw God move through the leaders in the local churches in Marion. I saw students come into a church for the first time in years, to, to seeking answers. I didn't have answers. But again, I saw this community come together in a time of terrible tragedy. And God was providing the answers that I was unable to give. So a few days later, we boarded a plane to head to Jamaica. I was torn. I wanted to stay in Iowa for obvious reasons, but I knew this trip could potentially change someone's life. And our trip was amazing. God's, present, God's presence was so evident, and His Spirit was and is doing amazing things in our team. Life change is happening. My own heart was softened. The children I went to serve and the students I went to lead actually served me and taught me more than I could have ever asked. And although the deaf children can't hear and speak like I do, they are better listeners and communicators than I will ever be. I'm learning to be a better listener to other people and to God's voice. I want to leave you with these words from Jesus. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm the sheep who was lost. I'm not perfect, but a perfect God died for me and loves me. Amen.
One of the things that uh, I heard you say partway through, you talked about um, God. I think you, your words were God uses broken people. And, uh, and also it's evident that God works in broken situations. You talked about pain and gave examples of that. Um, and sometimes that's where God even does some of his best work. Um, so thanks. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for reminding us, too, that we have an opportunity every day to choose, no matter if we're high or if we're low or somewhere in, the, in between. We have an opportunity to choose. Do I want to surrender what I have, what my life is, um, to God and trust Him that He can be a source of peace and hope for us? Now, you picked a song and asked the band if they could sing it, and I'm going to pray. What's the name of it again? I Am Set Free. I Am Set Free. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then the... Band's gonna share a special song with us. Let's let's pray. Um, God, thanks for Carter and his life. Thanks for Jody, uh, that you brought her into his life. Um, for Jasmine, for the boys. Um, thanks for his story. Thanks for the story of of change and hope, transformation and peace. A story about your power and your presence in Carter's life. Um, but it can be true for all of our lives as well. Thanks for bringing Carter here uh, to our family um, for the opportunities that he has to minister to college students and to be a part of our, our great staff team. We're really glad that you brought him here. Um, so help us now to, to listen. Uh, help us now to think about uh, the place that you have in our lives. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.